Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 295 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Today we're going to talk about how to fix your serve toss, but it's going to turn into so much more than that. Every once in a while, I, I sit down to outline my thoughts, to answer a question from one of you amazing listeners, and as I begin to, to write my thoughts down, it just turns into something completely different. Not different in the sense that I'm answering a different question, but different in the sense that it ends up evolving into something much, much more deep than the original question that I set out to answer. And that's definitely going to be the case today. We're going to talk a lot about the learning process. And this is not just going to be about the serve toss, but how to fix any part of your game. And this really pretty cleanly outlines exactly the system that we follow on the courts when we work with our students. Not necessarily step-by-step -step like the actual nuts and bolts and drills, although I will give a, a lot of drill examples within the context of actually fixing a serve toss, but it's more kind of underlying principles and framework that you can follow at home to improve any part of your game. So today's core question comes to us from Melissa. She wrote to me and said, I have something that I've struggled with for my entire tennis playing time. I'm a 3-5 player with good ground strokes and okay at the net, but my serve is really holding me back. I absolutely cannot toss the ball for my serve, which results in very weak serves. Whenever I get stressed or I start thinking about it, things get even worse. Then I have to start tossing four or five times before I can put anything that is even remotely hittable. Any advice for drills or exercises to help improve my toss? I've played some other players who seem to have the same issue. Thanks so much. Well, yeah, Melissa, a lot of players have this issue. And I think there's, there's probably many tennis players out there who are afraid to ask about this because it seems like such... It seems like it should be such a simple thing. Like, okay, you know where the toss is supposed to be, so just toss the ball there. And I think that's basically the the approach a lot of coaches take and a lot of pros take is they'll have some technical advice as far as like don't roll the ball off your fingertips or don't flip the ball up in the air with your hand or your wrist. But there's not a lot more depth besides that. And it's like, okay, well, so just practice. Like I... I told you what not to do. Now just go ahead and practice and you'll have a great toss. Well, I want you to know, Melissa and everybody else, that this is just one of those things in tennis. I've seen it over and over again. It's extremely simple, the task itself, but that doesn't mean it's easy. And I've played and taught with many players and coaches who are much more skilled and much more talented than me as far as playing ability is concerned, but throughout their playing career, struggled with their toss consistency. One of them in particular was a gentleman I taught with who had a world ranking in singles and doubles, and he had really big ups and downs with his toss. Way better athlete than me, way better tennis player than me. I've, ne I've never, ever had any trouble with my toss. Like, it's just me. And I think people basically fall into one of, those, one of those two categories. Either it's no problem, they don't really think about it, they just toss the ball where they want it to go, or... It's this kind of thing, and Melissa is kind of describing this mental anxiety over it, and it just kind of turns into a downward spiral. So 
the bottom line, Melissa, and this is we're going to really quickly get right into learning process. And I'm, I've actually got a big outline here. I'm going to try to make my way through it relatively quickly and relatively succinctly, so we don't get stuck on anything, anything in particular. But the bottom line is that toss is all about repeatability, and a huge percentage of tennis success is about repeatability, meaning being able to do the same movement, the same mechanics, the same stroke, the same skill over and over and over again, the same way. And repeatability comes down to training. But training does not mean just reps. Just, all right, Melissa, go out there and just hit a thousand serves and your toss will magically become better. Unfortunately, that's not good enough. Otherwise, everybody would have an amazing forehand and an amazing serve and amazing toss. Instead, we need the right kind of reps focused on the right things. And first and foremost, an appropriate level of challenge is critical so you can build a skill one piece at a time, develop your ability to do the skill correctly, and also build your confidence and your mental belief in yourself that you're able to do it. And so the key here is finding the right amount of challenge. There's a thousand different layers of challenge that we could choose from. But if we go too easy, then we just stay in our comfort zone and we're not our ability doesn't expand at all. Our ability to execute better or more reliably or more consistent doesn't improve. If, on the other hand, the drill or the training or the repetition that we try is too difficult and we challenge ourselves too much, then it's also not useful because we end up going to the panic zone. The comfort zone is is on one far end of the spectrum. The panic zone is on the other far end. If you hang out on either end of the spectrum, you do not get any better. Panic zone means that the level of challenge is so high that you're no longer able to really control what you're doing. It's just an emergency reaction. And so there's no real learning. There's no real awareness. There's no real development of skills. It's just survival. And nobody gets better that way. And Melissa, right now, frankly, it sounds like, especially in a match, you're in the panic zone just just trying to toss the ball where you want the ball to go. And so that's not useful for you right now. And in practice, uh, maybe it's fine in practice. You may actually be in your comfort zone in practice. And it's like, okay, well, I can do it in practice. In a match, everything falls apart. And so you keep going back and forth between being able to do it no problem and being just completely overwhelmed and having no ability to do it at all. And so we need to find layers and different levels of challenge in between. You will only get better if you're consistently stretching your comfort zone, not shattering it and jumping 20 times more difficult, but slowly and methodically stretching your comfort zone, practice session after practice session. And that's called the learning zone. That's a, the amount of challenge that's healthy and moves you out of your comfort zone, but not so far out of it that you panic and it's no longer useful. So you need to find drills that are just beyond your comfort zone. And the way what we're looking for when we work with a student is we're looking for at least 50% correct execution. And this is this is a huge, we're constantly watching this when we're on the courts with our VIP students. We're looking what is their level of success. And if you're if you are being challenged to the point where you cannot execute the new thing correctly 
at least half the time, then you're being challenged too much. There needs to be some level of ability to do it correctly or else there's nothing to grab onto. There's no ability to, to say, oh, okay, that's, that's the one I want and I'm going to really focus and concentrate hard on doing more of that one and less of the old one. And that's how you slowly but surely move in the right direction. And once you're executing 80 or 90% of the time correctly, the new and improved thing, then it's time to progress and, and go to the next level or layer of challenge. And hopefully you advance just enough that you bump back down again to about 50% and you kind of hang out at 50% for a little while. And then you slowly build up your ability to do the slightly more difficult version of what you're working on. And then once you get to eight or nine times out of 10 doing it correctly, then you move up in difficulty again. If there's not this progression of challenge and there's not this progression of success and being able to correctly do little layer by little layer at a time, there's not this building of execution, then real improvement is very, very, very difficult to achieve, especially if you're not an elite athlete. If you didn't grow up playing sports, if you don't have high levels of coordination, if you don't have high levels of kinesthetic awareness, and you you just don't know what your body is doing, which is the vast majority of people, then you have little to no chance of seeing a demonstration from a coach or a pro or a video and say, oh, okay, I guess I'll do it that way. And just doing it that way, it's just not going to automatically happen, even if it's a better movement, even if it's a, quote, natural way of doing it, and you're not doing it the natural way now, your habit, your muscle memory will continue to suck you right back in to your old habits. And so the foundation of our coaching process is layering drills. And so, Melissa, I've got four drills for you here. We're going to go through. Even if your toss is perfect, please listen because these specific examples are are just the perfect illustration of what you should be striving to do with whatever stroke you want to improve or whatever skill you want to improve. So here's, and I, I literally did these in the office uh, to, to really kind of feel and sense what they were like and, and get a sense that I'm kind of making appropriate progressions. I'm not skipping ahead too quickly. And so, Melissa, here's, here's a practice plan for you to follow. I'll describe these briefly. There's four drills in this progression. Drill number one is wall, wall bounces at head height. So just take a tennis ball, stand facing a wall. So your body, your, your hips, your shoulders, uh, parallel to the wall, facing the wall, standing about three feet away, and extend your arm and just gently toss the ball up so that it bounces softly against the wall, just about head height. And so if you're releasing the ball about shoulder height, which is about what you should be doing, then the ball is only coming up off your hand by like a foot, maybe two feet at the most, and then just bouncing off the wall and softly coming down to your hand again. And so you want to find a soft touch against a very specific spot on the wall. And so after you've tossed a couple, you kind of get a sense for, okay, I'm aiming for about here. Pick a spot on the wall or get a a little piece of masking tape or get some chalk if you're outside and just make a little mark on the wall. And then repeat repetitions to that spot on the wall for at least five minutes. No matter how well you execute it, spend at least five minutes doing this most basic, easiest 
execution drill and only move on after five minutes if you're executing 80% of the time correctly. And that means that the ball is bouncing within a couple of inches of that spot. You don't have to literally hit the spot, but if it bounces within two, three inches of that spot, you're, you're right there. And so that's great. And so you're looking to hit eight out of 10 to that spot. Do at least five minutes, even if you immediately are eight out of 10, just to establish some repeatability and some feel. And we're going to build on top of this first drill. So that's drill one. Drill number two, keep that same position facing the wall, standing three feet away. Now we're going to bounce the ball off the wall from eight feet off the ground. And so if you're, I'm six feet tall, and so that would be two feet over my head. If you're five feet tall, that would be three feet over your head. But the, the, the whole principle here, the whole idea is that now we're just taking that first really soft touch, just like a foot up off your hand, and now we're extending it by two or three feet and going just a little bit higher on the wall. We're keeping our position the same. We're keeping the principle and the idea the same. We're just tossing a little bit higher on the wall. So soft touches against the wall, find a specific spot, put a little piece of tape on the wall, and again, repeat for at least five minutes and only move forward if you're hitting at least eight out of 10 in the right ballpark. And now that ballpark can extend a little bit. Anything within three, four inches, you're fine. Uh, we just don't want to toss, you know, two feet too short and then two feet to the right and then two feet to the left and then you're tossing it three feet too high. We're just looking for a very consistent execution of the eight foot wall bounces. And again, looking to have them just softly bounce off the wall. So drill number three, after you've established at least an 8 out of 10 success rate with drill number 2, now address the wall from a sideways position. So turn your body so you're about 45 degrees. If you're a, a right-handed player, you're, you're tossing with your, with your left hand. I probably should have started with that. And so uh, that means you're going to turn your body to the right by about 45 degrees. And now toss along the wall with your arm extending up along the, uh, the side of the wall. And toss the ball up into the wall going for the same height, but now we're aligning ourselves a little bit differently. Uh, if, if it's too easy and you're nailing it right away, then you could also extend the height a little bit more to two or three feet higher, which is going to be pretty appropriate for most players as far as maximum, uh, or not maximum, but um, actual toss height that they would use for, for an actual toss. Um, if going for a different height, or if you don't have the height available because of ceilings, then that's fine. Just address the wall sideways and practice from that different alignment. Or if that's really, really easy, then go ahead and extend the height as well if you have the height and go a little bit higher on the wall as well as being sideways to the wall. And again, we're looking for a specific spot on the wall. Spend at least five minutes here and only move on if you're executing quality repetitions 80% of the time. And now the fourth drill is sideways to the wall, bouncing it softly off the wall. We're going to full toss height now. And so you may need to do this someplace else if you don't have 10 foot ceilings or, or higher. And you're gonna go into a practice trophy pose to make this a little bit more realistic. And so we're sideways to the wall, a full toss height. We're picking a spot on the wall and gently bouncing the ball off the wall, hopefully within a couple inches, maybe six or eight inches now that we're going full height. 
gently bouncing it in that ballpark on the wall and practicing going into your trophy pose. You don't even need a racket here. You can you can get your racket if you want, but you're just turning your body, tilting and, and loading the way you normally would to take your arm and your shoulder back and set up for a serve. So we're not hitting serves yet, but you can see how we've progressed here from drill one, super simple, like couldn't be more simple or easy. Just about anybody could execute that. And then taking a small step forward for drill two. Okay, same body position, but a little bit higher. And then drill number three, slightly different body position, same heights. Or if you can, a little bit higher is fine too. You could make a fifth progression in there. And then fourth progression or final progression, maybe this is a fifth progression, depending on how you break it up. Now you're sideways, bouncing off the wall softly and going to a full trophy pose. And so you can see how we've created this, these stepping stones of execution, a little bit more challenge at a time. And so the process here, the process, Melissa and everybody else, so this is the principle at play here. You need to learn where you break down. Where is the technique breaking down? Which drill? And the whole idea here is to narrow down exactly which element, what level of challenge is causing things to blow up? What's causing inconsistency? And then you can create extra sub-progressions and extra little in-between stepping stones that target that specific skill. And so if you spend a half an hour on drill three and you're just not it's just not coming together and you're just not even seeing improvement or you go from drill two to drill three and you're only doing one out of ten correctly okay well so we need to create an intermediary step we need a sub progression in between and so this this is this is the process the process this is what we do with our students each and every time we walk out onto the court we observe we see their level of execution and then we either progress because, oh, great, they, they get this one. Let's go to the next one. Couple of minutes, great, they've got that one. Let's go to the next one. Or, oh man, that totally like sent them back to their old habit. We need to go, maybe completely go back to the drill before or find some intermediary step. But we're constantly managing the level of challenge so that they feel like they're advancing. They are advancing. They're doing a little bit better at a time. They're slowly building their confidence, slowly building their awareness, slowly building their ability to execute a little bit more of the new thing correctly. And all along the way, giving them feedback and helping them see what they're doing. It's not just hitting more serves and doing it the way you've always done it. And so, Melissa, do not go out and just hit 10,000 serves. There's a big misconception about this. It's not about the number of reps. It's about the number and quality of reps. If the quality is low but the number is high, it's very possible you'll end up right where you started. And you will not improve and you will be frustrated. If the quality is very high, you'll need a much, much lower amount of reps to see improvement. And so it's about managing challenge to be able to make those repetitions as effective as possible. This breaks the skill down into bite-sized pieces and gives you a feeling of progress and success. And it systematically isolates the root problem of whatever that movement is, whatever the, the new skill is. And so Melissa, I outlined four 
uh, possibly five, you know, drill progressions there, not even hitting the ball yet. Uh, you know, if I spent an hour and just thought about toss progressions, I could probably come up with 20, 30, 40 different progressions. Not that I would use all of them with a, a student that had a, a poor toss or struggled with their toss, but I would pick and choose depending on how quickly they progressed, how quickly they grabbed onto the new thing, uh, w- which progression they struggle with. Oh, they struggle with. Uh, I, I tried progression 15 and it totally blew everything up. All right, let's go back a couple of sub steps to drill idea number nine. And okay, now they're executing half the time pretty well. So let's hang out here for a while. And you can see the, hopefully, kind of see the idea here. Now, this is the physical training side of things. If you're paying close attention to Melissa's description, then you undoubtedly heard that there's a strong mental component to this as well. When she goes and she plays matches, it totally blows everything up. Uh, let's, see, let's see. She said, uh, whenever I get stressed or I start thinking about it, things get even worse than what her normal execution is. I have to start tossing four or five times before I can hit toss anything that's even remotely hittable. And so when she plays matches her execution gets even worse than it is in practice. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a series of statements here. I want you to listen very closely. This is critical. And th- this could be the most important thing in today's episode. And it's going to sound monotonous at first, but please listen carefully. There's six statements here I'm going to make. There's a, we, and we just finished talking about controlling, managing levels of difficulty and, and layers of challenge. Listen closely. There's a big jump in difficulty from shadow swings to drop hits. Shadow swings means just executing the movement with no ball at all. And drop hits means just just dropping a ball. Like we're not tossing it, not feeding it, we're not hitting it. Like, okay, here's the ball. I'm dropping the ball. Execute the new thing. There's a big jump in difficulty from shadow swing to drop hits. There's a big jump in difficulty from drop hits to toss hits, meaning just underhand toss. There's a big jump in difficulty from toss hits to feed hits. Feed hits means, okay, now I'm hitting you with a racket, close distance, but now I'm using the racket instead of tossing underhand. There's a big jump in difficulty from feed hits to cooperative rally hits. So I'm no longer controlling every ball and just feeding exactly to the same spot. Now it's a live rally back and forth, but it's cooperative. We're trying to hit easy shots to each other. There's a big jump in difficulty from cooperative rally hits to sparring point hits, meaning now I'm trying to win the points, but it's not a real match. It's practice competition. And finally, there's a big jump in difficulty from sparring point hits to real competitive point hits. And Melissa, executing anything in practice versus in a competitive environment is basically a completely different skill. I mean, completely different skill. Sure, it's the same mechanics, it's the same movement, it's the same muscles being gathered and executing whatever the movement is, but the environment has changed. And those six statements I just read, the jump in difficulty from level of execution to level of execution, the environment changed. There's more variables, there's more stressors, there's more pressure, and competition is a big, big part of that increase in challenge and, dif- and difficulty. Just because the physical challenge hasn't changed doesn't mean that the environment isn't more difficult. And so it's critical for everybody listening to understand that there's, 
there is physical skill progressions to help somebody advance systematically. And you need to follow the same principles and the same mindset when it comes to executing under the pressure of competition. You need to create layers and levels of challenge to keep yourself in the learning zone as it pertains to competitive stress and anxiety, just like the physical skill development. This is something I I don't think I've really talked about on the podcast before. I have in a very general sense, uh, but but I'm going to get specific here, and I'm going to go through some drill ideas. And again, this is specifically for Melissa. So Melissa, here's 10 drill ideas. I'm going to go through them relatively quickly. This is not just for Melissa. Please listen to the principles being applied here because you can apply this to any other skill in tennis or any other skill in life. And so here's some examples, some ideas, Melissa, of ways that you can stretch your comfort zone as far as competitive environment stress and anxiety is concerned. So you can start off with the the physical skill progression drills and shoot for a total number of tosses for each progression, not in a row, total number. So just challenge yourself and say, okay, I'm going to do 30 correct executions of drill one, 30 of drill two, 30 for drill three, 30 for drill four, and challenge yourself in that way and see if there's any kind of drop-off. Like when you get to 25, 26, 27, is there all of a sudden, now you're only doing half of them correctly instead of like eight or nine out of 10. So that, that gives a little bit of competitive environment challenge. Drill number two, number of tosses in a row for each progression. So you could do challenge yourself to do six in a row for each progression. This adds significantly more stress and anxiety. You get to four, okay, you get to five. Oh man, I need to hit this last one. And all of a sudden you feel that little bit of pressure in the pit of your stomach. Uh, number three, total or in a row with a camera recording you. It doesn't need to be anybody else there. Just set up your phone, set up a camera, hit record and do the drills. <laughs> Just knowing that something is watching <laughs> and the camera is recording your success or failure adds another layer of mental challenge. Uh, Number four, total or in a row with a person watching you. Again, totally different layer of challenge. It could be your son or daughter. It could be your significant other. could be a teammate, whatever. Or have the teammate standing there watching you and recording you at the same time. I just, just off the top of my head, there's a bonus one. Number five, a game versus another person using the toss progressions. So use the, the toss progressions I gave you, alternate turns, and the, if, if on your turn you get five in a row, that's a point. So it's Melissa's turn, okay, you miss on number three. Okay, no points. Then Jenny goes, she gets five in a row, she gets a point. And then it's Melissa's turn, try to get five in a row. If you don't, no points. Five in a row gets you a point. And the first person to 10 points wins. You can go the, through the whole series of training progressions with that kind of competitive layering on top of it, and you'll very quickly figure out at what point things crumble and fall apart. And then that's where you spend your time focusing on to develop your ability to deal with that stress. All right, number six, on court. All, by the way, those first five can be done in your house or in a gym or wherever. Don't You don't even have to be on a tennis court. You can develop yourself mentally and develop your ability to deal with a competitive environment. Number six, on a court, total number of good tosses and hits. So now we're tossing and hitting and you're challenging yourself. All right, 
Well, I say, I'm going to go through all four drill progressions and I'm going to toss and cur- and only count the ones where it's a good toss and I hit a good toss and I'm going to do 20 of each drill. And so you're counting. And again, as you get to 12, 13, 14, 15, observe yourself and see how you respond to that pressure as you get closer and closer to challenging out each drill. Number seven, on court, good tosses and hits in a row. So again, the in a row. So it has to be a good toss. You have to hit that good toss and you're challenging yourself to do five in a row of each drill. Okay, so that adds another layer. On court with a camera recording you is number uh, eight. On court with a person watching you, same drills, try for a total number or in a row, have a teammate watch you, another person watch you, or with a camera. And then final one, game versus another person, executing only quality tosses and hits. And again, alternate turns, you're going for five in a row, so you only get a point if you have five tosses in a row that are good and you choose to hit that toss. If you catch it, fine, it doesn't count. Try to make a better toss on the next one. If you hit a bad toss, then your turn is over and no points, and then it's the other person's turn. And so you can just make a competitive game out of it. And so I tried to move through this quickly. I didn't want to hang on any of this too long. Hopefully you get the idea here, Melissa, and everybody else. The name of the game is creating stepping stones, creating progressions so that you hone in on exactly the level and layer of challenge that causes you to break down. Spend time there, be patient, and once you're able to execute seven, eight, nine out of 10 correctly, then move to the next little layer of progression, the next little layer of additional challenge. And this is a physical process and it's a mental process and you can layer the two of them together to have different degrees of physical and mental challenge at the same time. This is how you get better at a skill. It's not by watching a lesson or watching a video, I'm sorry, taking a lesson or watching a video or listening to a podcast or reading an article and saying, oh, I'm supposed to do it that way and then go out and do it 10,000 times. If you're a gifted athlete, if you're gifted with skill and ability and awareness and athleticism and coordination, you may be able to do that. For the vast majority of people, that's not real life and it doesn't work that way. And so you have to create these little intermediary steps. So Melissa just got a whole bunch of ideas for her toss. My goal with this episode was to lay it out in a very systematic way so that even if your toss is not giving you any trouble at all, you can take these same principles and apply them to any other part of your tennis game. I hope that I accomplished that. I hope that this is helpful. If it was, please shoot me an email to ian, I-A-N, at essentialtennis.com. And if it was helpful, and if this show has been useful to you and it's helping you advance, please do me a favor and tell somebody about it. A teammate, a coach, a practice partner, anybody else who loves tennis and is working hard to improve. For more free game-improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube where we are the number one resource in the world providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. 
Take care, and good luck with your tennis.